We often say, take what you like and leave the rest. But how can I apply this concept of take it or leave it in my life? Welcome to episode 304 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Dana, Nancy, Jason, Francesca, and Linda. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Dana, Nancy, Jason, Francesca, and Linda, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Joining me today is Eric. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. Uh, beautiful early autumn morning here, nice and chilly in Greenwich, Connecticut. I know for this episode, we had a discussion about several different readings, and which one are we going to open with? I'd like to open with um, Searching for Answers. Okay, and this is from the book How Elanon Works, Chapter 4? Right, Chapter 4. Page 15 in the soft cover. Although most of us come down on impatient for answers to these and many other questions, there aren't always quick or simple solutions to such complicated matters. Reaching out for help in Al-Anon is unlike asking for help in most other places. In Al-Anon, we do not give advice. Nobody tells anyone else what to do about their own private situation. For example, we neither advocate nor oppose staying married or getting divorced, confronting the alcoholics in our lives or keeping quiet, allowing our children to live at home or asking them to move out, breaking contact with our families or continuing to develop our relationships. These and countless other difficult decisions are uniquely personal and can only be made by the individuals involved. In fact, we suggest that newcomers to Al-Anon make no major decisions for quite some time after coming to Al-Anon, because we find that our perspective on our circumstances undergoes a dramatic change during this time. By waiting, we often find options we had not considered previously and discover that, over time, we become better able to make decisions we can live with. Thus, it would be absurd for any of our members to advocate one course of action or another. We don't know what's best for another person. Instead, we offer our own experience, strength, and hope. We talk about the problem we ourselves have encountered and how we have used the principles and practices of the Al-Anon program to help work through the problems. We share our feelings, our growth, and our pain. We listen and we learn, identifying with the stories others tell and discovering new ways to approach our particular circumstances by hearing how others have dealt with similar issues. We suggest that you take what you like and leave the rest. Some of what we say may be helpful, some may not. Each of us is free to pick and choose, to use whatever seems useful, and disregard the rest. That's my understanding of what we do here. We are sharing, we are talking about, discussing our understanding, our experience, but we're not saying this is the the truth. We're not saying this is the one right way. At least I'm not. 
I assume you're not either, eh? Well, that's the whole notion behind, I think, this, you know, this idea of the take, take it or leave it. You know, when I came up with the phrasing for that, you know, it sounds like a demand, right? Mm. Take it or leave it. Black and white. This is my final offer. I don't know why the little phrase popped into my head, probably because we hear that take what you like and leave the rest in every meeting. Mm-hmm. I thought, let's just let's just drill down on that a little. And, you know, when I was involved with my alcoholic, you know, and the notion of a divorce, uh, she floated it and then she pursued. And it. this is what this meant to me, take it or leave it, uh, was all or nothing, mm-hmm. you know. And I was taking a lot of offense and ultimatums and demands. And, you know, leave was leave the marriage, leave the family, flee, run away. But when you put into this context, take what you like and leave the rest, it's not a demand at all. It's about choosing and knowing I have choices, which didn't feel like I did at all, you know, 10 years ago. Now I know I do. I, I can take the things I want to keep what I like. You know, after I've done my inventory and get it, gotten to know myself much better, I can leave or try to leave what I don't like, you know, and move on. Absolutely. Also, for me, as I learned, as I listened and started to understand some of the principles of the program, what I wanted to take changed, right? Yeah. You put together some lists here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as I am one to do. Yes. But before we go through my list, I found, <laughs> don't don't you snicker at me? You know, I I don't. It's just the way I think when I when I get yeah. something in my head. I gotta play. I gotta play it out. Yeah, it helps me to play it out and turn it around and look at it from a different perspective and share about it and hear feedback and again because my my recovery is an ever changing dynamic process you know i shift and change and adapt and and hopefully grow you know just a little just a little at a time one grain of sand to my beach a day is good enough but before we get into my quote list i had uh, found something here that's um on take it or leave it idioms by the free dictionary oh so this, okay uh, yeah Rather than a definition, because it's really not a word that we're using today, it's a sentence phrase. Idioms puts a couple, you know, obvious definitions, but then the last I thought was very cool. So the obvious here is either accept something, especially an offer as it is, or else reject it unconditionally. Take this one or none. You have no choice. All or none, right? All or nothing. Non-negotiable. What I thought was really interesting was the last one here. Accept it or reject it. But make a decision, for this offer is final. The expression dates from the 14th century, and several versions appear in Shakespeare's plays. Here's one that's very cool. Listen to this. A modern variant is, I can take it, him or her, or leave it. Meaning, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Right? Interesting mm-hmm. twist. Oh, yeah. Back to the list. Well, we want to start. <laughs> right from the top. <laughs> what I like. Certainly. Things I will or want to take, which is what I like. And I'll just run through them. We can come back and discuss any one of many of these we've done on other episodes. What I will or want to take, I'll accept help. I will accept change. I'll accept the compliment. I will accept my growth. I will take notice. I will accept and take encouragement and validation and progress. I'll take time. 
Hmm. I'll take a breath. I'll take my feelings, all of them. I'll take my changed attitudes. I like my changed attitudes. Optimism, positivity, all things. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's dig in a little bit here. Sure. Things I will take help. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's, it was so hard to ask for help, right? You know, before I came into Al-Anon, I didn't think I had anybody, any place, anything I could ask for help. So just the fact that I could find some help somewhere, even before I got up the nerve to ask, was huge. And I could take help. I mean, just just coming to a meeting and listening to people share Sometimes it was help. I didn't even have to ask for it. I just, just scribbling as you're talking, I didn't know I needed help. I didn't know where to find help. I um, didn't want help. I mean, you know, on the homepage of the C.T. Allen on website, the first thing that pops into your face, it's a really well done, as most Allen on websites are very, very well done. At ctalanon.org, the first image that pops up is a girl with her arms stretched out with a handwritten sign that says help. You know, I think mm. being afraid afraid to ask for help, you know, I was afraid to ask for help. It made me feel less than, you know, I can fix this. I can get through this. I'll muscle. I'm talented. I'm smart. I'll outwit it, outfox it. The opposite of help. I just wanted to fix it, you know, but now I know it's the most powerful thing. I, I tell my daughters really often, it is empowering to ask for help and say, I don't know. So, yeah, that's a big one for me. I like asking for help. We're not alone. I always feel better when I leave a meeting. I've never felt worse. <laughs> Sometimes a lot better. True. True. Yeah. And that helps. Yeah. Change and growth. Yep. Like it. I, I got to think about that one. <laughs> Just thinking, thinking back, I mean, when I first came to Al-Anon, like my first meeting, for sure, I was not consciously at least looking for change or growth. I just didn't know what to do. Um, and the fact that I found change, that I found growth, and that you know, I guess I was willing to take it once, once it was offered. Although change, you know, change is hard. Sometimes I don't want to take change. In my meeting yesterday, we were going through... Uh, in the book Blueprint for Progress, and near the back, there's a chapter on findings. It says, what have I discovered about myself as I did this inventory? The first two bullets are honesty and self-worth. When I looked at self-worth, I, th I thought, well, I didn't very much like myself. And in this program, I found and I took tools that let me change that, that let me grow. Those tools of the steps are what I can use to change and grow, what I have used to change and grow. And I, and I didn't know those existed. And so I definitely eventually took them. I was very resistant to the steps at first, of course. I don't know. I don't know if anybody comes into this program with this, like, I'm going to work these steps. They look so wonderful, and I'm just really <laughs> excited about it. There probably is somebody out there who did that, right? One, not me. 
One person, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't met them yet. You know, if I were to just kind of put these into my goulash and stir it up, it's allowing myself, giving myself a choice. The whole the whole subject is about I now have choices to accept or or not. Right. By using the tools, um, I can take a break. How about that? Things I want to take a break. I'm allowed to. I didn't know that. I mean, I came in. I, I, everything was urgent. You know, I didn't. I didn't ever consider. I can just say, you know what? Let me get back to you. And take a break and think about that. I'm I'm allowed to do that now. I permit myself to do it. I validate my own feelings. You know, I'm not sure, so I'm going to take a break and think about it. It seems so obvious and easy now in hindsight, but back then it didn't. No. Back then. No. Take a, take time. Take a breath. Take some space. Yeah. Yeah. Some space. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And my feelings, you know, acceptance of my feelings. I, I, I accept now that I'll take my feelings even when they're bad, you know, even when I'm sad, even when I get angry, which happens. I mean, I deal with it much differently now is the difference. I can take a breath when I'm angry. I can say no in the same tone of voice and with as much as I can say yes. You know? Yeah. I'm taking time to use a tool, taking a break, taking that pause. Yeah. Indeed. I'm looking at this compliment, encouragement, validation. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time taking compliments. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my normal response to a compliment or a thanks was oh that's not a big thing you know that's mm-hmm. that's not diminish it diminish it exactly and somewhere along in Al-Anon, and I don't know exactly where this came from I can't point to a reading or something I got it from but what I realized was when somebody compliments me and I feel perhaps like I'm over complimented or whatever the feeling is that's going on inside my crazy head. All I have to say is thank you. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Like, <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so simple, uh, but right. it was, it was so not in my thinking. And I don't know exactly why. All I have to say is thank you. I can take a compliment and, and not feel weird about it. Huh? I didn't feel worthy of being complimented because I felt I can't fix this. I'm not worthy. I'm not, I should be able to do this. Even the back, you know, when I was feeling so small and my power was completely drained by failed attempts of over and over and over trying to change something that couldn't be changed. Someone else. Yeah. I didn't feel worthy of accepting a, a, a compliment. We've heard this before with people with so low self-esteem that have been, beaten up you know hey what a what a beautiful dress you're wearing oh this old rag <laughs> exactly exactly you know yeah. thank you yeah is the perfect answer now and just you know be be grateful when i was in it i couldn't see it you know i couldn't see the benefit of just the simplicity of acknowledging a compliment with a simple thank you and moving on nice yeah i want to come back to this breath thing taking it yeah. take a breath because mm-hmm when I'm in crisis, when something's happening that I don't like, my feeling is I can't do anything until I fix this. 
I have to jump in. I have to address it right away, and and I can't stop until it's fixed. That's really hard with alcoholism because I can't fix it. So that exhausted me, right? I would just be exhausted because I was jumping in and trying to fix and trying to fix and trying to fix and not fixing and trying to fix. And Eleanor told me I could stop. I could take a breath. I could consider my options. The phrase that I just loved when I heard it is, don't just do something, stand there. Or sit there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can take care of myself. How about that? That's not on the list. Take care First, of myself, yeah. No I kidding. can take Things a rest. Take. Yeah, I can take a rest. I can take care of myself first. Subtle. No kidding. What don't you want to take? Spencer? Moving on to the second part of your list here. Things <laughs> I will not or don't want to take. The first two here. Other people's problems and burdens. Other people's responsibilities. Well, you know what? Wait, what? I'm supposed to fix everything <laughs> for everybody, aren't I? Isn't that what, my what, job what? in life? Right. No. Yeah. No, I am not supposed to fix everything for everybody. The trouble is that, you know, having the clarity to define what is mine, you know, mm. what is not, what is mine, what is my responsibility to do for my daughters and what mm. is not, you know, so, and helping versus enabling, you know, empowering versus enabling yeah. comes to mind here. Many or, subjects touch on that. Or the serenity prayer. Of course. A friend of mine says, she says, I view the serenity prayer as sort of an algorithm. Like, can I do something about this? Yes or no? If I can't, well then, please ask, you know, ask for the serenity to accept it. If I can, ask for the courage to be able to do what I can do. If I don't know, ask for the wisdom to know which, and then go back to the first step. <laughs> Right, it's like this is an algorithm. You just do it over and over until you, you know, you either you either get to oh, I can change this, I have the courage to change it, or I can't change this, I have the serenity to accept that that it is, and and to know, to know, you know, it's like, how do I know if somebody else's problem is really mine? I mean, how do I know if it's somebody else's problem? I guess that's the way to put it, right? When my wife was was drinking and was leaving the burners on the stove on or spending a lot of money on, on alcohol. Is that her problem or my problem? Or is there some part of the, it that's each and what do I do? Well, I can turn off the stove, right? But the spending money thing, I had some really crazy solutions that I never actually got to, thank goodness, um, including like, well, I should just like figure out how to make wine. Because that would be a lot cheaper, <laughs> you know. This is where this is where my craziness wow. could take me. Wow, you were really nuts, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Seemed oh like a logical God. solution at the time. You know, to somebody I'm sure else's I have, problem, right? I am sure I have something really similar to that. Well, listen, how many of I? How many times have I heard in the rooms the guy in the men's group that would go out and buy? wine for his wife because if she went out she might kill somebody you know drive off the road or kill kill herself so i'll go get her the wine that <sighs> was such a tough one for me you know yeah it really was yeah. because yeah, yeah there's that there is that consequence that you really don't want 
Of course. Uh, it's not easy. It's never easy. Yeah, it's a simple program for complicated people. You're right. Other people's responsibilities, counting meetings. Yeah, yeah. Once, once somebody's account. in recovery, then I got to make sure that they keep on. I mean, you know, that's that's one example. There's all kinds of examples. Calling work and saying she's sick today. Yeah. Wasn't false. Just didn't say what kind of sick. Right. You know, but it wasn't my responsibility to do that, right? You know, I, my sponsor early on, I think, or somebody in the rooms told me, you know, when faced with something that is difficult to define, you know, what's your role in this? You know, you, do you really have a dog in this fight? He would say to me, filter it through the serenity prayer. Yeah. Filter it through. So you're yeah. algo. You know, I, I think there should be an app for this on our phones, you know. <laughs> Here's my problem. Put it in and let the little algorithm on the phone, you know, don't do anything. Not yours. <laughs> yeah, right. Magic 8-Ball. I have one of those. Turn it yeah. over. Hmm. Seems a little misty. Try again later. <laughs> Answer not clear. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a Magic 8-Ball of recovery. If we've got an app, we'll, we'll make, uh, well, we can't make money on it, but. Yeah. My, my Magic 8-Ball my magic of recovery is. Go to meetings, read the literature. Yeah. Et cetera. Suit up. Work the suit steps. Up, show up, yeah. shut up. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. It's, it's, it, we're trying to overcomplicate it. But the answer is go, go to meetings and keep your ears open. I was listening to a AA speaker and he had a three step process or whatever that he used. And I can only remember the first two, but they was come all the way in, sit all the way down and something. Well, some other all the way something and and he broke up the steps like steps one through three are come all the way in and steps four through nine which are what we consider sort of the working the working part of the program the inventory the telling somebody asking for help to remove our character defects uh, and making amends right that was that was sit all the way down and i really wish i could remember the third one i, I kept trying to put it into my head but it's like it's like if you just come in and stand on the edge, you won't get what we have to give you, right? If you don't sit down and do the work, you you won't get all that we have to give you. It was a nice, powerful summary, I thought, but I can't remember the third one. I have it. I know the third one. Okay. Okay, so come all the way in, sit all the way down, pour all of it out. How's that? <laughs> I think that comes <laughs> near the beginning, actually. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that okay. should precede it. Hey, I made that up. That's really <laughs> things I do not want to take. I do not want to take it personally. Mm. Mm. Huge. Did Huge. you think it's so easy to think that it, you know that phrase? If they really loved me, they would stop. Of course, right. Can't they see? They're killing everybody. Can't they see? They're killing me. What I came to understand and what the, a lot of the reading in the literature is about, and in fact, one of the alternative readings for opening was in How Al-Anon Works, Chapter 6, The Family Disease of Alcoholism. And it's on page 30 in both the hardcover and softcover editions. I love this this reading, starting with recognizing our options, because it's all about how it's not about me, how I, I don't need to take it personally. Alcoholics act and family members and friends react. 
most of the time we react because we don't realize we have a choice. It's automatic. Then we get to this this paragraph that I love to, to refer people to. It's as if we were holding one end of a rope and an alcoholic grabbed the other end and started to tug. Most of us would react automatically. We tug back. It never occurs to us that we don't have to play. Moving on to the next paragraph. Oh, well, the end here. Perhaps we'll even decide to drop the rope. And I think we have that in things I want to leave. For example, some alcoholics feel guilty about their need to drink and find it much easier to blame the drinking on someone else. Such alcoholics often provoke those around them trying to start an argument or create a crisis. And right there, I would take it personally. I would jump in, I would pick up the rope, I would engage in the fight that the alcoholic was trying to provoke in order to take the focus off of the drinking and put it on something else. And when I can stop taking it personally, it's a lot easier for me to pick, not pick up the rope or drop the rope, depending where I am in my recovery at that moment, right? Yeah. Create anxiety and provoke loss of temper. That's, that is my alcoholics. <laughs> Two primary tools. Create anxiety, provoke loss of temper. This whole reading is so good. You know, it's hard to stop. You know, dry or sober alcoholics sometimes use the same tactics to create a diversion so that everyone's attention will be drawn away from a topic or situation with which they are uncomfortable. Dropping the rope means recognizing the pattern and choosing not to play the same part anymore. We notice the provocative behavior, and we notice exactly what we do in response. You know, it's becoming aware and having a tool and choosing a response. And the response might be, walk away. Just walk away. It seems weak for, you know, guys and women that are, you know, powerful. I think a lot of us in the rooms are pretty driven i mean we're we're in the room because we want to try to find solutions um we're not just laying down we're trying to work and find a way to live in harmony with whatever is going on so great reading thank you and so a friend of mine who's a buddhist says that in buddhism she learns that everything is personal that's the only way you can take things is is the way that they impact you mm-hmm. it took me a while i had to think about well what is what is the difference between what she's saying, which is true? I mean, everything, all of my sense of the world around me is how it how it impacts me, right? It's all personal in that sense. But I think what we mean when we say don't, quit taking it personally, that Q-tip acronym, is not reacting as if everything was directed at me. Because I was like, well, yeah, okay, you're right, but 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 that's not what I mean. What do I mean? When I say I'm taking it personally, I mean, I think you're doing this thing to me. Right. Not you're doing right. this thing because of you and it really doesn't have anything to do with me. It just has an impact on me. So quit taking it personally. We could have a whole episode on quit taking it personally. Maybe we did. I don't Absolutely. know. <laughs> I'm sure we've covered it in 10. Somebody in the room says, says my alcoholic came home the other night and started drinking at me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and yeah. and when you say it that way it is so yeah. clearly ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. But when you don't say it that way it's so easy to think it. Yeah, drinking to feel me. it, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. The alcoholic Doing it came too, home dude. and started drinking at me. 
Oh, God. I'm going to jump to the October 29 reading and purge the change, if you don't mind here. Yeah. This is a good one because we're talking about taking offense. You know, I mean, I've heard this, that the, just the, the way we put those words together, I take offense or I, I don't have to take offense. I don't have to. So October 29th, encouraged to change. I recently had an argument with someone I care about. He had made all too publicly a few remarks to me about my weight, and I was less than pleased. Later, when I told him that my feelings were hurt, he insisted he had done nothing wrong with what he said. It's true, so I shouldn't take offense. How often have I justified my own unkindness or my interfering where I had no business with that very argument? Too many times, especially during my alcoholic loved one's drinking days. After all, I claimed, I was right. Alcohol was ruining our lives, and it was my duty to say so. Again and again and again. <laughs> I'm learning to let go of my certainty about what other people should do. In Al-Anon, I heard someone put it this way. I can be right or I can be happy. I don't have to make anyone over in my image. With help, I can live and let live. Today's reminder, I'm not an insensitive person. But in t at times, I have justified insensitive behavior by claiming to be right. I can respect another's right to make her own choices even when I strongly disagree. My relationships will improve if I can love myself enough to let other people be themselves. I, I love the quote. We've used this multiple times from Peter Marshall. Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with. Hmm. Yeah, that last Isn't part. good? Yeah. 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 So I don't want to take offense. I don't want to give offense also, right? Oh, boy, all these things, ultimatums, demands, blame, those go both ways for me. How many times, I don't, you know, I actually don't know if I said this, you know, if you don't stop drinking, then you're out of here or something. I never said it exactly like that, but I certainly, I think, wanted to say it sometimes. Yeah. And I'm sure that there were, there were times when I gave ultimatums that obviously I couldn't follow through on. But take it or leave it, I mean, you said at the beginning, like, this phrase, take it or leave it, can sound like an ultimatum, right? I think that's the first impression. That when someone sees this episode pop up, you know, next week, they're going to say, oh, it sounds like ultimatums. Leave my, you know, to get, stop or I am doing this. Stop or I'm divorcing you. Stop or I'm leaving. Stop or I'm taking the kids. And, you know, for many, that's certainly an option. There were many nights where I... Took the children at two in the morning, you know, bags packed, car keys in the garage, and left, you know, with, I don't even remember whether with the ultimatum. Well, I did, I did make an ultimatum, which fortunately for me, I had a sponsor from the very, almost the first meeting. As I've said many times, you know, someone came up to me after the meeting, gave me his card, and my view was he took pity on me. <laughs> you know, like you pathetic wreck here. Give me a call. He didn't see it that way at all. <laughs> you're just such a you're just such a train wreck here. Call me. But I did say soon after I started coming to meetings and learning a little bit of some tools. You know that ultimatums. You either stop drinking or I'll divorce you. This just doesn't work at all. But I did say if you're drunk in the house, I will take the children out. And I didn't say for how long. At that moment, I was going to leave because she would never leave. I tried that. You know, you, the, the version was, you can't drink, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that that ultimatum worked really well, didn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, no. She just hit it better. You know, that's all. I ended up settling on something I could live with, which was, and she wouldn't drink, she would only drink in the house because she didn't want to drink and drive home. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd hide it and cover it. And, you know, we'd find bottles in the craziest places, you know, in the kids' toy box. <laughs> but <laughs> I did say, yeah, I swear to God, uh, I did say, uh, if you're, if you, are drunk or drinking, I will leave with the children, or you have to leave. And she would never leave. So unfortunately, I did have to several times. I don't even remember how many. Leave it, you know, at night or in the middle of the night, and go to a hotel, go to my office, sleep on the floor. It, it did happen. Mm. So, you know, we got off on that. But I think it's ultimatums, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. I, I won't accept ultimatums, and I don't want to give ultimatums anymore. They don't work. For me. Oh, expectations and resentments. I don't want to take those. <laughs> I want to leave those. Episodes. I want to leave expectations and resentment. Yeah, we have talked about those in oh, yeah. in many episodes. Ad nauseum. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. Don't want to yeah. take anger. I don't want to take name calling. I don't think I ever was called names. I probably did call names. Yeah. Yeah. And here we have the bait, the rope. Don't, don't take it. Don't pick it up. Don't. (laughs) Yeah. Don't Uh, catch it. So many times, so many times. Yeah. You know, I think what's the difference between things I don't want to take and things I want to leave. I mean, not a whole lot. I think it's just in phrasing. I don't want to take on other people's problems. I don't want to, because I want to leave other people's problems. That that doesn't sound quite right, but I don't want to take other people's problems. Sounds, But they're both things that, that I'm, I'm not taking. And yeah, I want to leave the rest. And I like the way you've broken this down, like others' negativity and my own negativity. Mm-hmm. Again, it accomplishes nothing mm-hmm. for me to, to be... For me to be negative, it doesn't accomplish anything. It might make me feel something. It, you know, wallowing in negativity. Why does that sometimes feel good? That's an immediate release. I mean, I, I, you know, like flashing out anger with anger. It's just an immediate release, but it just creates more anger. When I feed into negativity, I become negative, and I don't like that feeling anymore. I don't like that feeling. You know, I had a permanent scowl on my face for five, six, seven years. Mm. Every photograph I saw of myself, I looked grumpy. And people would say it. Why are you so grumpy? You know, I, I couldn't explain it. But yeah, of it's course just you couldn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course not. It's just this overwhelming negativity that surrounds trying to battle this disease that has no way to win. Just everything becomes black. And there's a, for me exactly a changed attitude i can't fix it and thus everything's horrible that's the before attitude right i can't fix it i can't fix it life is horrible it's never gonna get better i'm a failure that's that's where i went from i can't fix it and when I heard, and I've talked about this before, that moment when I heard one of the counselors at a treatment center say to us, friends and family, you didn't cause it, 
you can't cure it, you can't control it. That flipped, that flipped it for me. I can't fix it became, I don't have to fix it, became a positive. It still left me with the, and she's drinking and I hate it, but it, it changed it changed something fundamentally because I had been putting so much effort and energy into this hopeless endeavor, as it says somewhere in the book, not seeing what I really could do, which was to you know, help myself. So letting go of that negativity and, and really shifting that phrase from a negative to a positive or at least a neutral statement helped me a whole lot. And it helped me in a moment. I took it back. Of course it is a process. It is not, we're never, we're never perfectly done, but it was, it was so um, enlightening. It was such a revelation at, at that time. That's what brought me into the program was this, Oh, I can't fix it. What can I do? And again, I mean, there's a, there's a positive and a negative, right? I can't fix it. What can I do? I can't do anything. Oh, Eeyore. I can't fix it. What can <laughs> I do? I can help myself to feel better. I can help my kids to feel better. I can help our, our, our home to not be full of anger and rage all the time. Those are things I can do because they're about me. They're about things that I can change about myself. Although changing my attitude took a lot of meetings, a lot of hearing other people's experience, a lot of feeling that I'm not alone and that other people have worked through these same things. And here are some of the things they did and I can try those things. Right. So yeah, negativity, leave it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, back then I would wallow in it. You know, it was a martyrdom. Yeah. I was, I was a your. You know, lovable, but pathetic. Oh, God, here we go again. It's going to rain. I can't do anything. <laughs> you know, yep, yep. isn't he, isn't he, isn't he or the little, little donkey? And he's, uh, yeah. with his, you know, he's got his tail torn off and his, his nailed on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. He's got a, like a tack holding his tail on. Oh, crying. Here we go. You know, it's amazing. I would love to maybe do an entire episode on Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Winnie the Pooh is, is Oh, wonderful. my God. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at a retreat um, with men from church, and our our theme was resilience, and I'm I'm trying to put together an episode on resilience because I saw so many parallels between things we were talking about there and stuff in the program. But I was asked, I volunteered to lead our Sunday morning time together. I won't call it worship; I'm not a minister. As the reading, I chose a poo story, uh, the one where he's visiting rabbit. He eats too much; he can't get out the door because he's he's gotten too fat, and he has to just be there for, I think, a week is what they say in the story. And his attitude is not, oh, woe is me, it's horrible. He says to Christopher Robin, can you read me some stories? And Rabbit says, hey, can I use your feet that are taking up all this space in my house to hang my washing, my laundry on? And 
everybody accepts the situation as it is and says not they're not wallowing in the negativity like Eeyore. They're saying, well, what can we do? Okay, this th- we're here. Pooh is stuck. Pooh's going to be stuck for a while till he slims. Uh, what can we do? And it's just, I I picked it because there were so many examples of being resilient to sort of a negative situation in that one little story. It applies right here. You know, Pooh's got a, a positive attitude, and and Eeyore has a negative attitude, and some of those stories are there to contrast that, right? They're, they're all there. I mean, to, you know, Winnie the Pooh was, was written as therapy. You know, Tigger's got ADD. I mean, go down the line. <laughs> Not that <laughs> they know? called it that back then, but yes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's out of control. OCD, ADD, they've got every ism in that story <laughs> to identify with different characters. Yeah. And my daughters both know this. I mean, there's a whole book, The Tao of Pooh. Yeah. I send these little screenshots to my daughters, you know, all the time, a couple times a week. They pop up on my phone, inspiring quotes or something. And they're amazing. They're just simply amazing. I'm looking at one right here from today. It's uh, Pooh floating on a balloon. Right. And some bumblebees around his head. And it says, promise me you'll always remember you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Mm. It's just incredible. Yeah. They're all, they're all incredible. Anyway. Whole separate episode, maybe. <laughs> hey, so you want to leave stinking thinking? Do I want to leave stinking thinking? Yeah, yeah. Nothing smells good about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you just talk, we're talking about the three C's. I mean, what we are here, what I am here, is for the fourth. How have I contributed, and how do I want to stop contributing to my own discomfort? Mm-hmm. This is what it's about. You know, I'm here to feel better. And that's just that's all this is just getting this stuff out. I want to let go of the past. You know, I can I can look back and not stare. I can't change one word in one sentence from any chapter. Look back, but don't stare. Leave the past in the past where it rightfully belongs. There's a phrase in the the AA promises, as they're called. Um, mm-hmm. We will neither regret the past nor wish to turn our back on it. Yeah. And that's what I think, that's what you're saying. Things happened. Things happened that I wish hadn't happened. Things happened that I wish I hadn't done. They happened. Like you said, I remember saying in a meeting once, you know, even God can't change the past. Why do I think I can? (laughs) But I can learn from it. And to me, that's the essence of that phrase. We will not regret the past. What, what happened, happened. And if I can learn from it by not turning my back on it, then I can not do those things again. I can, I can avoid at least the, my contribution to the stuff that happened in the past. I can avoid doing it again. And, and so leaving the past, yes, but not forgetting, I think is really important. Absolutely. Forgive and remember. Oh, you just make that up. Uh, I think I've heard it before, but yeah. You know, don't forgive and forget. Yeah. You know, forgive and move on. Yeah, so you don't repeat it yeah. and remember it didn't work. Yeah. Good stuff. And we have ultimatums here again. I want to leave yeah. giving up the ultimatums. Um, I want to leave giving blame. Oh, and here's one of the ones that's hardest for me. I want to leave fear. 
Yeah. Oh, I yeah. wish. <laughs> no, I, I, I lived in, I was consumed with fear. Yes. And, and oh, certainly for me, there's a lot less of it now. Mm-hmm. That fourth step inventory made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I feared that step, right? I feared what I would find. It was, and I know I've said this before, and I know many other people have said this. It was the most important part of my recovery to see myself clearly. One of the things that we inventory, at least in some of the inventory processes, is fears. What am I afraid of? Let's dig into that a little bit. What are the things that I have fear of? I have fear of financial insecurity. I have fear of people finding out that I'm not who I present myself as. That's the you know, lack of self-esteem, right? I have fear of those around me dying. Well, yeah, okay. What am I going to do about that? How do I how do I live with that fear? How do I accept that that's true? How do I not react out of that fear? And I think that's one of the important things for me in identifying fears is when I'm reacting out of a fear that I don't recognize I have, I don't know how to get out of it. So yeah, let's let's try and leave and and particularly unreasonable fear. I would fear that we were going to lose all our money, lose our house, be living in our car under a bridge somewhere, which from the situation that we were living in was really not a realistic fear, but it certainly kept me awake at night. And so being able to see my fears more realistically helped me to leave the ones that really were not reasonable, were not something that I could act on, you know, to leave them behind. I was just looking to kind of wrap up the image of Pooh hanging from a balloon yeah. floating up in the air, and he's got Piglet handing on to his right hand, and his left hand's holding on to the string of the balloon. And Piglet uh, says, but Pooh, what if it pops? And Pooh answers, but what if we fly? Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So cool. So cool. Well, we found some, mostly you found, some music that we thought relates to the theme. Our first selection would be from The Clash, Should I Stay or Should I Go? That's sort of the take it or leave it there. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, anyone is over probably 35 and under 150 has heard this song, <laughs> you know? I mean, either it was grandparents, you know, driving themselves crazy here, you and me blast it on our stereo, you know, on our album, uh, record player. Yeah. You got to let me know, should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, I'll be here till the end of time. So you got to let me know, should I stay or should I go? It's always tease, tease, tease. You're happy when I'm on my knees. Day is fine and next it's black. So if you want me off your back, well, come on and let me know, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. Indecision's bugging me. Okay, there's something yeah. else I want to leave. Indecision and hurry. The two enemies of serenity. Indecision and hurry. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought it was a cool thought. Yep. <laughs> In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. For me, it has actually been um, several weeks since I've 
gotten it together to put out an episode. Uh, life has intervened in in the process somehow. Uh, somehow, having a new dog has really screwed up my routines. You know, I'm getting to work late. Not very late, like five or ten minutes late. But I always feel like I'm rushing in the morning because... I haven't figured out how to fit the the dog routine into my daily routine. I'm getting better at it, which, you know, recognizing the problem is, of course, the first step in in recovery or whatever. Uh, But it's like, I get up, I do my ablutions, I, well, no. The dog wakes me up, we go downstairs, I let him out. Okay, so there's the first interruption in my routine, because now I'm downstairs, instead of upstairs. So maybe I sit and and read or play a game on my phone for a little while, and then it's like, oh, wait, no, I have to do this stuff like getting ready for work and all that. So then I go back upstairs and, you know, shower and all that stuff, and then I come down, I have breakfast, I make the dog breakfast. Well, now he has to go for a walk, and now it's time for me to leave for work. But, oh, my God, the dog has to go for a walk, etc. Okay. And, and it's just like, I mean, this is this 10 minutes here and this 15 minutes there, and it's totally screwing up my, my schedule. I haven't made it to the gym for a couple of weeks because I haven't figured out how to, you know, rearrange my schedule, rearrange my routine. And, and that's just, anyway, part of that was I did not get to, to, uh, put together a podcast last week, the week before I was at this retreat, I talked about, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do one then. I did put out that episode with Michelle in it, which um, I've gotten a number of good feedbacks on, including, I think, from you. Um, mm. I I really liked her. Yeah, amazing. So honest. Holy smokes. Wow. Uh, and and so much happening. Oh, my God. Oof. <laughs> but, but learning from it, you know, and that's that to me is is what this program is about besides recovering from the effects of somebody else's alcoholism or addiction on our lives is it's about learning from our life experience, growing from our life experience. So I'm working on that. Um, and I'm really glad you came up with this idea because then that encouraged me to reach back and say, Hey, you want to do that this weekend? Um, I'm also trying to respond to all the people who've offered to be guests on the show and try to schedule times with them. And that was another blocker for me. I was like, this whole process of trying to pick a day and a time and back and forth emails. And and so I would get to this, I don't even want to start the process because I know it's going to take a long time. So I took the advice of, of one of the guys on the internet who has been a podcaster for a long time and teaches podcasting. And I signed up for a scheduling application. So now I can say, here, take this link, go in there. There are open time slots when I will commit to be available. You pick the one that works for you. Tell me what you want to talk about. Give me your phone number, your FaceTime, whatever. It's all there. I And my phone number, my FaceTime, et cetera, is in there as well. And so it just takes a whole lot of the effort out. And now I can say, here's this link and and please sign up. And then when somebody signs up, we got a time, we got a date. You know, it's it's leaving leaving some mental effort that makes it easier to do the things that I actually want to do, which is, yeah, continue to put out this podcast and continue to share um, other people's experience, strength, and hope as well as my own. Work's been interesting, as it often is. In my team, I've had some turnover, and 
at the moment, I only have one person on the team who's been there longer than about a year. I got an, another person who's been there about a year and a person who started a couple of weeks ago and we're still trying to hire somebody. Uh, and that changes my responsibilities. It changes the interactions. Um, and of course, I look at interactions between my team members and feel like, oh, things are not going well. This is my negativity coming in, my negative thinking, right? My stinking thinking. Things are not going well, and it's my fault. <laughs> you know, what was I thinking? The other day, one of my team members said, hey, can we just have a one-on-one -on -one meeting today? And I was like, sure. And my stinking thinking is, this person is going to tell me about something that's that's going horribly wrong and they're planning to leave. <laughs> okay, where does that come from? My stinking thinking. And that's not what it was about at all. It was about I just want to touch base. I want to you know, I want to I want you to tell me how I'm doing. I want to give you some feedback about how we're doing as a team. I want to ask what can I do better? This is the person talking to me. And I was like, oh, oh, this is good. You know, we should do this again at the end of the half hour. Like, we should do this again. Uh, so, oh, I can just go to that place so quickly still. I can just do that. Oh, and yesterday's meeting, yesterday's meeting, yesterday morning, we've been going through the Blueprint for Progress book, one or two questions once a month. Okay, so this is a 90-something page book with lots of questions, right? You've gone through that book. Well, you're not going to finish that before you die. There's no <laughs> okay, way. So my understanding is that this <laughs> meeting started at the beginning of the book about 12 years ago. And they're still not through. And we're basically in the last chapter now, which <sighs> is, is Findings. Findings. Let's do this faster next time. <laughs> Finding one. Well, Don't no, but the point is, the point is not to get through the book, right? The point is to have some prompts that enable us to bring out something that's in us, something that we've been working on, something that we suddenly realize we need to work on, something that we have seen change in ourselves, we've seen growth in ourselves, those things we want to take. And so yesterday, I was like, Gee, the last time I was at a first Saturday was July. I have no idea where we are in the book at this point. And and somebody else said, well, in August we did the last question in the spirituality chapter. So I think we're somewhere at this findings chapter. And I was like, well, maybe because findings seems kind of, there's all these categories and and no really good questions. Maybe we should go back to the beginning and start over. And somebody else was like, no, I think we should, we should go through this, this, you know, look at what do we find about ourselves about honesty? What really, really good meeting. We talked yeah. about honesty and we talked about self worth and it was just some really wonderful sharing going on there. And I was reminded of learned from other people's sharings. One person shared about they are working on being kind. This was when we were talking about honesty because there is this thing about, you know, blunt honesty is not generally kind and often not helpful. You know, think, right? Thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, kind. And after the meeting, I said, thank you for reminding me that honesty has to be paired with kindness. 
So it was a really good meeting out of the topic that I was like, I don't know if this is the way we want to do it. The group conscience, right? The the consensus of the group was let's let's go through these bullet points. We got through two of them. We're going to start on the next one, uh, you know, the beginning of whatever it is, November. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen uh, when you let go of outcomes. So I think that's uh, that's what I got right now. How about you? So you're, you're starting the blueprint for progress over next week, or no? We're going to keep going on findings. Hell, there's like uh, I don't uh, know twenty oh, oh, categories you're, you're, under findings. Oh, you got two more years. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's the journey. It's not the destination, right? Well, listen, we started that our little group, and I started the fourth step blueprint meeting. And it's now on its probably fifth anniversary year because it's a daunting task, that inventory. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, there's a guide, there's a blueprint. You know, look yeah. at the name, blueprint. I'm a builder. I get <laughs> blueprints. <laughs> right? You like blueprints. I want a blueprint. But, you know, again, it's so daunting that we decided we'll take two weeks on each chapter. And we get, then what it turned out is about 26 chapters. We yeah. didn't even know that. Yeah. It takes about one year, which is exactly how much time I needed to get through it and then move on. I remember you telling me about that, and I thought, well, that's that's a brilliant idea. If I had the time and energy to start a meeting, um, I might try to uh, might like to uh, to take that model because it is brilliant. Yeah, yeah I mean, it it's gave it time to think about all the questions within the chapter on sex or humor or fear or whatever it is, and then come back and revisit from our notes from the prior week and go back through it and then move on. Anyway, so my week, let's see. Last Saturday we had a meeting, uh, which that meeting has become really large because we moved to a beautiful new room in a church right down the road from me. So it was about, let's see what I wrote, frustration, annoyance, spitefulness, irritation, anger was the heading. Uh, yeah. How do I deal with anger or hatred? Um, some of the notes, just resentment, hurt. I use driving as a good example. Mm-hmm. You know, Always. I can't control, yeah, the drivers around me and, you know, uh, the little things I say to my children all the time, you know, when we're late, everybody's driving too slow. It's not their fault, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's, it's our fault um, that we're late. I, I referenced a great George Carlin line, I remember. Uh, he said, you know, when you're driving down a road, there's only two types of drivers, maniacs and idiots. Look at that maniac. What an idiot. <laughs> so I thought it was funny. Uh, All about attitude. See. Yeah. Maniac. What an idiot. Conflict. I said, release my anger as soon as possible so it doesn't build to resentments, which are harder to get rid of. Anger can give me the illusion of power, someone said I wrote down. False security. Uh, and it always lets me down. That's actually from a reading. Courage to change, December 6th. Anyway, the solution is the pause, I wrote down. Take a breath and detach, you right? Take, take a breath. Take a breath, yes. Take a breath. Uh, detach. Choose detachment. Oh, and I referenced the uh, great scene in one of my favorites, Analyze This, with De Niro uh, and Billy Crystal, where he's the therapist, and De Niro, I'm sure everyone on the planet knows this movie by now. De Niro's the mob boss, and Billy Crystal's his therapist, and they're in Vegas, and, you know, (laughs) his bodyguard throws someone out the window during Billy Crystal's wedding, and he comes charging in, and he says, look, I know you're upset, you know, just make it, make a phone call. And he calls his 
arch rival and f- starts freaking out on him. And Billy Crystal says, you know what I do? What I do when I'm really angry, I just hit a pillow. That's what I do. I just hit the living daylights out of a pillow. And De Niro takes out his gun and fires off of six rounds into the couch cushion. And all the feathers are flying up in the air. And, <laughs> and Billy Crystal's got a feather on his nose. He goes, oh, you feel better? De Niro says, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. Anyway, got you did it that Jersey accent really well there, Eric. I, I do a good De Niro. Hey, yeah, you don't. Uh, I learned how to stuff because I didn't know how to deal. Someone said that. I loved it. I put it in quotes. That was someone. I learned how to stuff because I didn't know how to deal. Yeah, anyway, Thursday, yeah, isn't that brilliant? Thursday was, uh, I led. Step 10, my absolute favorite, one of my favorite steps besides 11. To admit to we were to admit we were wrong is to declare you are wiser now than before. Mm-hmm. My sponsor texted me that. To admit you're wrong is to declare you are wiser now than before. And I, it's by Anonymous, uh, quoted somewhere in our readings. And I texted back, well, then I must be approaching genius. Because <laughs> you're wrong all of <laughs> Oh, I, every couple hours. But thankfully, I have a tool for that. You know, we discussed, ro- the, you know, wrong implies ownership and change. You know, and making amends is taking ownership and my part in it. And, and the word amends is word. It means change. By definition, it means change. Yep. I referenced right versus happy, another episode we did. And I really enjoy admitting I was wrong and unburdening myself. And it's an awareness that I really uh, enjoy now. I said, you know, when I first came in, my events looked something like this. I'm sorry you misinterpreted what I said and took offense to what I didn't mean. That doesn't work. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's from, I don't know. It's from some movie. I'm sorry you misinterpreted what I meant to say and took offense to what I didn't mean. This, no, obviously that's meant in jest. Oh, let's see. Sorry. I said, I said, sorry, tattooed on my forehead. I would apologize for the weather, the traffic and my alcoholic behavior. None of which was mine to take. Yes. Force versus power. I thought of uh, another one of our episodes during that. I'd rather have the peace than the problem. Hmm. Someone else said that in a meeting. I'd rather I'd rather have the peace than the problem. And then I was meeting with somebody, and I don't know how it came up. He said, you know, if you were an animal, you've heard this little exercise. If you were an animal, what would you be? Uh-huh. And I'm sure he's expecting me to say, you know, lion, or eagle, uh, gorilla. I thought about it, and I said, uh, duck. Because the water rolls off your back? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm impervious to the downpours. And I can float. I can fish. Pretty good. Uh, And I can fly. Yeah. You know, as Pooh said, what if it pops? No. What if we fly? Yeah. (laughs) That was my week. I was reminded by something you said a couple minutes ago. Our minister came to our retreat and, and talked to us about some some tools we can use. And he also, he gave us a preview of the Sunday service since we probably weren't going to be there since we were at this retreat. And he said he was, he was talking about intention and expectation. And he said, so often we use the word intend as an excuse. Well, I didn't intend 
to hurt your feelings. He says, unless you actually went into that with a conscious intention of not hurting feelings and you did anyway, that's an excuse. Like, ah. So he encourages to think about setting intentions. And that's a whole other topic, so I won't go any further on that. But it uh, it was uh, an interesting distinction that he made, and, and I, had, I don't think I had thought about that before. It's cool. It's about awareness, you know. You know I, I wasn't thinking. It's not a good answer to why I did something that someone else was offended it by. It could be a reason. It could be a reason. That's a dope. I wasn't thinking. But you know what? I don't like not being aware anymore. Yeah. You know, as a friend of mine said, why do you keep coming? And, and uh, he said, I want to see how awake I can get. Yeah. You know, That's step 12. Yep. Having had a spiritual awakening. Yeah. We welcome everybody's thoughts. You can join the conversation. You can leave a voicemail or send an email. And Eric, how can people do that? How can people join our conversation here? I'm sure I know how. You can call us and leave it. <laughs> I knew you were waiting for that. Yeah. <sighs> Never gets old. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send feedback to feedback at the show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of take it or leave it, or any other topic. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And as Eric mentioned, we have a website, therecovery.show, which has all the information about the show. It has notes for each episode. You can find any episode by number just by going to therecovery.show slash the number. So for this one, therecovery.show slash 304. The show notes uh, include, you know, the stuff we talked about, uh, try to put in definitely links to the music and try to put in links to uh, other things that we mentioned, the readings and so on um, that were in the episode. So you can, you can find them for yourself. And if, if there's something we talked about that you can't find there, let me know and I'll try to add it. So we'll take a short break before looking at our mailbag. And the second musical selection, also available on the website at therecovery.show slash 304, is the Eagles with their song, Take It Easy, which, you know, take it easy, right? So this is the take it part. It's one of those positive takes. And I swear that's a slogan. Is that a slogan, take it easy? Easy does it. Easy does it. That's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of relates to that. Um, and as Eric said, I don't think there's anybody who was born after... 1960, maybe, or, or a little bit earlier, who has not heard this song uh, probably too many times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it it is about, for me, it's it's about chilling out. It's about not taking everything personally. It's about not stressing about things I can't fix. It's about a lot of the stuff we've talked about in this uh, in this episode. And I don't have the lyrics in front of me, so I won't even try. I have them all in my head. I've been singing it since yeah. I was 15. You know, don't let the sound of your own wheels make you crazy. How about that? We'll yeah. Leave it with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Come on, baby. Don't say maybe. Don't let the sounds of your own wheels make you crazy. <sighs> yeah. My, my wheels made me crazy so many times. Still can sometimes. 
Kathleen sent a very short email with a very hard question. She writes, can you tell me what makes the alcoholic rage while they are drinking? Uh, well, my alcoholic didn't rage a lot, although we did get into fights, arguments that could get kind of loud. So maybe that's raging. I know alcohol affects everybody differently. Some people it makes quiet. Some people it makes loud. Some people it makes angry. Some people it makes maudlin. Part of it is just the unpredictability of the effect. One of the things that I know that alcohol does for just about all of us, maybe everybody, is it reduces inhibitions. So if I'm a person that is full of anger and I drink, it's easier for me to let that anger out. I actually want to refer back to that reading on page 30 because I think that that may also be part of it. And I've heard alcoholic friends talk about this being really angry at themselves, being really angry at their drinking, expressing that anger not on themselves because that's not comfortable, expressing it on the people around them instead. What what are your thoughts, Eric? Uh, well, I, I didn't know. And then uh, I've shared this before, eight, nine, ten years ago, early on in recovery, I was in a 12 and 12 meeting on a Sunday and I was crying about, I just was just so down, still married, trying to figure things out. And a really wonderful woman saw me before the meeting started and handed me the dilemma of the alcoholic marriage, that little green book. And she said, just, uh, you have a few minutes here. And I read it. And I started crying about five minutes, and I put it down. And she said, you you just read page seven and eight, right? I said, yeah. And seven and eight are the dual personality of the alcoholic. Mm. And explaining what this uh, person that emailed you, how it just flips when alcohol is in, introduced into an alcoholic, in my case, too. It, just, it was instantaneous. Uh, the, the loving, kind, wonderful woman became... Enraged, angry, hostile, resentful, all those were like someone flipped a switch. And it talks about it on those pages. So she may want to, she may want to look there. Yeah. Great recommendation. And then the other thing that comes to mind is again another George Carlin. And it's, this isn't funny unless I use the A word. So I hope you don't mind. You can bleep it. But he said, you know, he's talking, he's doing a stand up. He says, you know, I'm thinking, I'm talking, he's, kids and they say you know why do you smoke weed i mean what does weed do for you they said well it makes you so much more honest it makes it you the real you comes out when you're smoking pot and you get high the real you comes out and he goes yeah but what if you're an asshole <laughs> but what if oh yeah anonymous from florida writes hi spencer and everybody this is my first time contacting you i've been listening to the show for about a year and a half and it has been a great way to keep my life alanon I listen to you, the Recovered Podcast and Recovery Radio Show on the way to and from work. It has been very healthful, and I am grateful. Thank you so much. The reason of this email is to pay gratitude to you guys and also a song suggestion. I've heard this song on the internet. It is called Blank Stairs by Jay Allen. This is a song he wrote for his mother who is suffering from Alzheimer's. I did have a grandmother who had Alzheimer's, but when I heard this song, I could not help but think about my alcoholic husband. It made me cry. 
It is a very loving song and thought this applies to a lot of us who have their loved ones with addiction as long as Alzheimer's. Thank you again for your service. Your podcast is a lifesaver. Much love to you. Anonymous from Florida. Thank you for that song. I will put a link to it here and also hang on to it for a future episode. Thanks again. Nancy left a comment on my intimacy talk on the website, and I realized that one doesn't have an episode number, so there's no easy way to get to it. If you go to the website at therecovery.show, click or tap on the search button in the menu, and then you can search for Spencer Intimacy. That might find it. Nancy writes, Spencer, I realize it's 2019 and you recorded this episode on intimacy in 2016, but I am profoundly grateful to you and for your honesty in this recording. Everyone's honesty. This is a real issue for me and it touched me in a very deep place. Thank you so much. Ashley writes, hello, recovery show. I just finished listening to your episode 300. It may become one of my favorites, but not for my usual reasons. It will be because of the gratitude that is abundant in that episode. It was overwhelming for me at times, and I had to pause the podcast, feel my feelings, and then start again. The beauty of people sharing how this podcast has improved their lives really moved me, as I feel exactly the same as all those who called in. If I'm having a bad day, I just have to listen to the podcast to reframe my thinking and bring gratitude back into my heart. I have no doubt that it will become a staple in managing my serenity and keeping an attitude of gratitude. Thank you to all who shared and made this episode happen. Well, thanks. Thanks, Ashley. I didn't know what kind of impact that episode was going to have. It felt a little um, self-indulgent, perhaps. Thanks for, for that perspective on it. Kathleen writes, I understand the concept of enabling. My daughter often asks me for money. She has a full-time job and gets child support. She has two children under the age of eight. She probably brings home around $47,000 a year. Not a lot of money, but it's probably more than a lot of people make. I'm in a quandary about enabling her through agreeing to give her $50 here and $50 there. And this quandary stems from her excuses for needing money for gas to pay for a babysitter. So do I say no to her? Not having money will affect my grandkids. I don't know what or how to handle giving her money when kids are involved. I don't want to deprive them, but I have such a hard time believing that she really needs money. I do believe she probably overspends and buys liquor and cigarettes. It is hard for me to say no. The thing is, I do have the money to give her, but I resent her asking me, and I resent her overspending, and I resent her spending money on things that she not, should not be spending money on. Any suggestions? <sighs> You know, when uh, I was living with active drinking, we had a shared bank account. So, you know, the question of whether to give money or not didn't really come up because all she had to do was pull out, you know, her debit card or credit card. And there it went. It is a difficult situation. And I think that the answer is um, that you have to decide what's what feels right to you. I think about is there some way that you can contribute directly to your grandchildren rather than giving money to your daughter? I don't know. You say you feel resentful, you feel angry. You know, that's a sign that something in you feels this is not the right thing to do. I would pray on it, talk to other friends in the program and see if they have some experience they can share because I haven't been in that exact place. Stacy from Maryland left a voicemail after the Michelle B. episode number 303. Hi, Spencer. This is Stacy from Maryland. I just finished listening to the Michelle B. episode 
and I am just blown away. So many things from Michelle's story spoke to my heart and my head and my soul, and just want to express gratitude for your show and also for the speaker talks that you sometimes share with us. Michelle's story really strikes a chord for me because my husband is an alcoholic and her journey of thinking her marriage was over, thinking she was getting a divorce, reuniting with him, finding fresh joy, and then the sad, gut-wrenching part at the end was just, it was quite a journey to listen to, but there were so many parts of it where her truth and what she learned from Al-Anon really struck a chord and, and was very healing for me. And one thing I was really struck by was Michelle's sponsor saying to her that sometimes the relationships forged before recovery aren't meant to last into recovery. And that was really helpful to hear, but also contrasting that with her story of how she got from such brokenness to her husband being in recovery and her own recovery. My husband is in recovery. I'm in recovery six months now for both of us. It's not the easiest road. There are many good moments, and I feel like I'm on my right track, but I'm very isolated because many friends and family in my life have not supported my choice. And so the rooms of Al-Anon are where I find really, in some cases, my only sense of uh, community and, and acceptance and even love. I heard in a, in a room recently that if you have 300 problems and you remove alcohol, you still have 299. And that's something I think we sometimes forget because when we get into recovery in an AA, there's this pink cloud of thinking that everything's going to be perfect and somehow radically different. And I'm getting to understand that part. Anyway, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your show. And uh, thank you for this tremendously impactful episode. And I'm going to try to find Michelle B.'s blog that she mentioned, but if you could link it in the show notes, that would be great. Thank you, Stacy, for sharing that. I, too, found community in the rooms when my family and friends did not understand what was going on or early when I couldn't even talk to them about it. And I love that observation that if you have 300 problems and the alcoholism ends, you still have 299 problems because I found that to be true. And some of the problems got easier when the alcohol wasn't making them worse. But, you know, they're still there. And it becomes easier to deal with them in sobriety, I guess, also, in many cases. But then, for me, you know, new problems came up because of, oh, my wife wanted to be involved in making decisions again. What? So that was a problem for me anyway. And it was probably a problem for her because of the way that I might have reacted. And a couple people have asked about the blog that Michelle B. mentioned in her talk. And unfortunately, I do not have any direct contact with Michelle. And I did a quick Google search and didn't find anything that looked like it might be hers. So if anybody who's listening maybe knows Michelle, maybe can tell us about that blog. That would be helpful. Thank you. A long letter from Dana who writes, Hello, Spencer. Been meaning to write for a while. Thank you for 300-plus episodes and for your service. The Recovery Show is amazing. It is varied and always what I need to hear just when I hear it. 
the open meeting speakers, the called in and written shares, guests, co-hosts, and openness of everyone in program is so greatly appreciated. Very healing and equally illuminating. This past January, my mother and best friend passed away from Alzheimer's disease. It was a slow, very painfully long process that I had to go through alone, as no family member wanted to be a part of it. My brothers and I were raised in a very dysfunctional family of alcoholism. My two siblings live in California, and they refused to share any responsibility throughout mom's long illness, repeating patterns from when we were raised. This brought and continues to bring me a lot of pain. I give it to God, and I'm learning to accept it as something I cannot change, but it takes work. Throughout mom's illness, I learned gratitude for what I did have, even if no immediate family member was there emotionally or in any other way. Focusing on the positive, I had my husband, mother-in-law, and many co-workers and friends who helped me navigate the strange road of Alzheimer's disease. The Al-Anon rooms that I go to were the most helpful in learning to be grateful for the little things and the big things. I mentioned gratitude because I found finding the blessings quite crucial in getting through this very sad, lonely, and rough time. There is nothing like having someone you have known your entire life, someone who carried you and raised you, turn into a shell of a person devoid of personality that you have known them to possess before the disease took hold. Their body and likeness is right there in front of you, but their personality, a functioning brain, and all of their memories are stripped away from them, from you, and from everybody else, as they cannot share in conversation or any recollections. They become completely vacant and with only brief, unexpected glimmers that vanish so quickly of their former selves. It is heartbreaking and brought me to my knees numerous times over two assisted living facilities at home care on this unwanted journey of seven years. My mother was an alcoholic, a blackout alcoholic, who passed out on the floor. When she was drunk, her blue eyes would turn to limpid, very confused pools of washed-out bloodshot blue. The eyes did not even look like her eyes. I mention this because mom drunk was very similar to mom with Alzheimer's disease. Her sobriety came about in 1983 when I was 17, and I was grateful to have the normal blue eyes back full-time. However, Mom would not and did not work a program, and she stayed in a zone of denial for the rest of her life, unable and unwilling to face reality, face her demons, or talk about her troubles and fears with anyone. Fast forward to 2012. Her husband of 47 years, my alcoholic father, passed away two weeks after being diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Mom seemed to decline rapidly as if unable to process his quick and unexpected death. Dad was the life of the party, outgoing and talkative, yin to her yang, and she seemed to die when he passed away. Her decline was rapid, yet I had trouble processing it myself due to the unexpectedness of Dad's passing and my own grief and incredulity. Thinking back, Mom's grief was probably hiding some of her decline and mental alertness. Being a true adult child of alcoholics, both Mom and Dad and their fathers, I jumped into high, I am going to fix it all gear when I saw Mom was not taking care of business. Mom was always TCB and hyper-organized. Not so anymore. Bills were not getting paid, and many more strange goings-on were occurring. I found the family dynamics of my brothers refusing to get involved or help me to make decisions frustrating, strangely familiar, and then I just gave up on trying to get them involved and started making decisions. I found that when I stopped pushing agents and outcomes, and if I just let life unfold, if I prayed and really listened to answers from people around me, I did better. I let go and stopped trying to micromanage all the possible outcomes. It was so odd knowing all along that mom was never going to get better, that she would get progressively worse, and that this illness would eventually kill her. 
managing her care in the best way that I could by providing her professional care in the best assisted living home I could find locally and visiting her regularly to maintain her care and oversee her care became my part-time career, along with my full-time elementary teaching career. There were so many times I had to get on my knees. So many. I'm so grateful for the rooms, the program, and your podcast. It was an awful, unwanted journey, but so was growing up in our alcoholic home. I thought all of that was past me, but I was revisited when the life went out again in mom's friendly, sparkling blue eyes, first with the disease of alcoholism, nearly 30 years of dry, drunk sobriety with no program to support her, but a lot less insanity, and then on to have her clarity dimmed by Alzheimer's disease. I liken dementia to alcoholism. Both are diseases. Both are diseases you cannot do anything about. You suffer and seethe in frustration and lack of control until you feel like you are suffocated from a full heart of so deeply loving a person you cannot help. You try and manage your emotions so that you can work your way through the pain of actively using them through a disease you despise and yet have no control over. You love and try to help that person without destroying yourself in the process. You have nothing left to do but accept, let go, and turn it over to your higher power. But if you are like me, you rail and suffer for as long as you stubbornly can until you are depleted to the point of numbness and despair. Mom was funny, eccentric, an avid reader, a philosopher with a dry humor that was hilarious and cutting to everyone around her, an alcoholic, an avoider, and someone who could work a Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle with a plum. I miss her terribly, and I miss her completely, but I do not miss her suffering from Alzheimer's disease in silent anguish. I am relieved that alcoholism and Alzheimer's have their clutches off of her, and I sense she is happy and free, exchanging barbs with some salty old-timers in the afterlife, and cackling like a loon at the wordplay of the saints and angels. For anyone dealing with Alzheimer's disease and the disease of alcoholism, you are not alone. Thank you for the program, and thank you for allowing me to share. Dana. Thank you for sharing that, Dana. I have nothing to add. Thank you. Liz writes, Hi, Spencer. Jennifer's message on your show really spoke to me, though many of your podcasts speak to me. So my son is 18, not fully an adult. He has been struggling with addiction since 16. We have a long family history with alcohol and mental illness, anxiety, and depression. He lives with us and his younger sibling and an elderly grandmother downstairs. There's been numerous drinking episodes, blackouts, emergency rooms. The most recent, police came to the door at five in the morning and told us that he was found unconscious in the street and taken to the local emergency room. We want to make sure he was okay, but then we went home and left him there, and he had to take the train home by himself, with the emergency room bracelet still on. He also had no shoes on, so they provided hospital-issued ones. The deep grief and sadness that I feel around him is excruciatingly painful. I've gone to about six Al-Anon meetings. I went to a parent meeting, but all I do is cry, and I can't get the words out, and I feel foolish, like gut-wrenching sobs, like when you grieve somebody who's died. I'm trying to find a meeting I can relate to and a sponsor I can relate to. I know Al-Anon is the way to go. I'm having difficulty fully connecting to it. I'm trying to break the obsession around the clock thinking about him. I have a younger daughter who needs our time and attention, and I have an older daughter who is away at school. I read an article in the newspaper about complicated grief. I do feel like I'm grieving him, even though he's not gone. Until I find an Al-Anon meeting that speaks to me, this podcast has been invaluable. Thank you, Liz. 
Thank you for writing, Liz. My my thoughts and prayers are with you and, and your son. I just want to say, I think an Elena meeting is a perfectly appropriate place to cry. I know I did. It was, I think, the first place in a long time that I felt safe enough to cry. So keep looking for the right meeting. Maybe one of the meetings you've been to is already the right one, but it just hasn't connected yet. Well, Stacy sent us another share, this one on the holidays and some of the challenges that she's finding. Hi, Spencer. It's Stacy from Maryland. I just uh, listened to your holiday episode. I think it's episode 223. I was looking for a, an episode that would address the feeling that I have and trepidation and disappointment going into this year's holidays. Uh, my husband is an alcoholic, and I have, after a period of living apart, um, reunited in that marriage, and uh, my community and family is not um, supporting this choice, or rather, they support me wanting to be happy, but they don't want to be around my husband, and so just this last week, he was uninvited from um, a special gathering that our family was having, which was very painful to me. And um, my children have said that they're not coming home if he's there. So I go into the holidays with this terrible sense of of loss and uh, grief, really. So this episode was so helpful. Um, a couple of the ideas that really stuck out um, was letting go of expectations. Another was being creative about where to find those celebrations. So one thing I'm trying hard to do is if my family has chosen to exclude my husband, for now it still feels right for me to go because I don't want to be excluded completely. So I plan to get on a plane and fly to wherever my kids are over the holiday and and it probably won't be Christmas on Christmas and Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. That's what we celebrate. But it might be a week later that I make a turkey and we and we express our gratitude. Or it might be New Year's by the time we see each other. But I still want to have that time. The other idea uh, that, that really helped at some point in the episode, uh, you said, and the next day you wake up and it's, you know, and it's past. And there's so much expectation that we put on, like, these days. And I wouldn't do that about today, the day I have right now. I wouldn't do that about tomorrow or next week, um, which happens to be when I'm calling you in the middle of, of uh, September. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't put such heavy weight on a day. And so why is it that I, I you know, why is it that I do that? now for these days that are months ahead of time. And there is so much to be grateful for right now. I mean, my my husband is in recovery. He's lost 50 pounds going to the gym every single day. He's, he's a very different version of himself, and I really want to get to know this version of him. I suggested once before, I've, I, I've looked for episodes on kind of brokenness of family uh, with 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 an alcoholic in it, 
but um, I, that would be an episode that would be so helpful to me uh, because that's what I'm going through right now. Fortunately, last Friday when I was in tears and got a note that my husband was not invited to this party, I called an Al-Anon friend, who, and it's the first call I've really made from a list, but I had remembered a woman from my Saturday group who had shared that she loves her partner, but that her friends don't like him, and some of her family doesn't like him, and they exclude him. And uh, and she shared how she's worked through that. And so I called her, and, and it was so helpful to call someone and, and to know that there would be that sense of listening and also just a shared experience really did lessen the pain. And she also encouraged me to go. She said to me, if you don't go, it gives them a signal that that's how the rest of the occasions will be. And it's far better to at least be invited still yourself than to be excluded, both of you. So thank you for the holiday episode. Perhaps when you play this message, it will help someone who's approaching October or November and getting ready for their holidays. But it might be a good episode for everybody to recycle and listen to. As you approach the holiday season, I hope you and everyone listening takes care of yourself and finds the small moments that make it magical. Thanks. That's rough, Stacy. I'm happy that you are finding alternatives, that you are finding ways to be able to be with all of the people that you love in your life, even if they don't want to be with each other. Topic idea on how a family is broken by alcoholism or how the family is broken when alcoholism is present in it. I'm going to put that out to you who are listening. If you would like to share your experience, strength, and hope related to this topic, please do. Thank you. Francesca writes, Hi, Spencer and The Recovery Show. Thank you so much for Michelle's talk. What an inspiring story. I appreciated the many examples of turning over her will and her life in difficult situations while also keeping her head clear and making tough decisions. God helps those who help themselves. I have a response to Judy's question from the same episode. She asked about how to sort out facts and feelings when doing an inventory as an only child. I am also an only child and have had trouble remembering exactly what happened in my alcoholic home. As children in dysfunctional homes, we are taught to forget what we see, and we become very good at it. Unfortunately, as adults, that behavior no longer serves us. Here are a few things that have worked for me. 1. My uncle was also affected by the disease, and while we didn't grow up near each other, I have checked in with my cousins about things I think my qualifier might have done. 99% of the time, they tell me that their alcoholic parent did the same things. My cousins have siblings, so they were better at remembering than I was. If you feel you can, seek out other family members who are willing to talk and listen. 2. Try out ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. This program has many tools to help go deeper. 3. When I remember something very upsetting, I get it written down and then pray on what to do about it. Most of the time I forgive and move on without involving the alcoholic or codependent. Occasionally I bring it up with the person my qualifier now has a program and is open to these conversations and acknowledges slash apologizes when I bring up a specific incident. The other parent doesn't have a program because she's not the one with the problem, right? 
and usually denies or says she doesn't remember the incident I'm talking about. These conversations are so valuable. They remind me of how important my program is. If I slow down or give up, I will be back in that place of denial or forgetting. I don't want to go back there. Four, don't do it alone. Find a sponsor or fellow traveler with whom to reason things out. Five, take your time. This happened to you over a lifetime. It's not going to get fixed in a week, a month, or probably even a year. Be gentle with yourself and accept everything that comes out. Don't worry about your inventory being perfect. You can always go back and do another one when you're ready. Take baby steps at first. I hope this is helpful. Best, Francesca. Wow, thank you, Francesca, for those really great ideas from your own experience. Number five, taking your time. It's not going to be perfect. You know, I've done three inventories, and I don't think any of them were perfect, but each of them got a little deeper. I was listening to an AA speaker recently who said that he felt he did not get entirely honest until I think the fifth time he did an inventory. So take your time, do what you can. Don't obsess over perfection. That's great advice. Thanks, Francesca. Dan from Virginia writes, Hey, that Michelle B. talk you posted is straight up incredible. I've never before felt compelled to make notes because of how smart what I was hearing on a podcast was, but I did on this one. Well, thank you, Dan. I really, I thought it was a great talk too, which is why I shared it. Sarah writes, I just stumbled on your podcast a month ago when someone mentioned it in a meeting. I live in Bakersfield, California. It is a lifesaver for me right now. Listening to the episode with you and your wife was so encouraging to me. My husband and I just passed our eight-year wedding anniversary, and he was a sober alcoholic when I met him. He relapsed with alcohol a year into our marriage and then found painkillers. That introduced him to other opiates, and he is currently struggling to get out of those. Went to court this morning for a DUI, started an outpatient program this week, and has three months of DUI classes ahead of him. I read Step 1 in PTR every night, and I'm trying to be encouraging while focusing on myself. Your show in between meetings is a lifesaver. I'm able to walk around the college campus where I work during lunch and listen. I so appreciate you having these quasi-meetings out there in a meeting that is so accessible. Podcasting. In gratitude. Sarah. Well, thank you for writing, Sarah. Keep thinking about step I find myself back to step one frequently. Not about alcoholism generally, but definitely there. Louise called and left a voicemail. Hello, Santa. My name is Louise, and I'm calling from California, and I'm a new listener. I just discovered your show last week, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. I just decided to call in today because I just finished listening to your share about when you sadly had to let your dear doggy go. I have a photograph of my beautiful husky that I also had to recently let go, way too young. The story I just wanted to share was when she was diagnosed with being chronically ill, even though they couldn't give us a clear definition, my qualifier brought her back from up north. He was living in Oregon. Long story, won't go into all the details, but anyway, he was able to bring her back to California as I desperately wanted to save her and took her to a holistic vet down here in California. But she came down 
uh, at a time when we had a family gathering where my husband's family came from overseas for his birthday. All the family was around her. She got to meet some of them for the first time. And it was when I was in the room with the veterinary where he was explaining, you know, yes, we'd spent, you know, a considerable amount of money trying to save her. And he said, you could spend, you know, at least a couple more thousand and end up right back at this place trying to decide what to do. And he said she was definitely suffering. And it was at that juncture that I definitely felt my higher power telling me, you just had a gathering of the whole family. She made that journey. She stayed alive long enough to, um, sorry, have that meet and greet with people that hadn't met her. And she got to be there to say goodbye to others in the family. And I realized that that was a gift. That was a huge gift. And it was okay, you know, to let her go. And I got to hold her and love on her. And um, as you can tell, it's still pretty fresh. But I'm so grateful that, you know, my God was with me. And also, you know, we learned to do the next indicated thing. And, you know, that it is our responsibility, you know, to not let our loved animals suffer. So I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm so grateful for Al-Anon. It has completely changed my life. I still am surrounded by people that are affected by the disease, and I grew up in the disease and quickly identified once I got into these rooms. I'm just so grateful that there are so many tools, and your show is very much now a part of my recovery. So God bless you for what you're doing. Keep up the good work, and thank you for letting me share. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, Louise, for sharing that. It's difficult to make those decisions, but all we can do is take the guidance of a higher power or of our own gut and do what feels best. Thanks. Lorraine writes, Dear Spencer, I hope you are well and having a lovely week. I'm very sorry to hear your technical issues with the show's recordings. The technology was being alcoholic. Thank you for keeping this going despite the commitment it takes. I missed your request for feedback on the show for episode 300. I have been listening to your podcast for the last three years on and off. I'm in AA, but have some experience with being affected by alcohol and other addictions as a child, and have been slowly looking at this and feel the next area for my journey is to address it. I've attended CODA and Elanon meetings because of listening to your podcast. Your podcast helps me to look at my behavior in situations. I've been unable to attend meetings due to being overtired and moving house. I feel so grateful for not missing out because of your show. And when I have something going on in my life, your show is so valuable to me to right-size the issue and to bring awareness of someone else's experience, strength, and hope to allow me to look at my issue with my higher power. My father died in December, and I've had further significant bereavement since then. The recovery show has supported me throughout this. I especially got a lot from episode 393, Lynn. Grief can be a wonderful thing. Most recently, Genevieve on episode 301, saying as long as I believe I've been affected by another person's drinking, I have the right to be here in Al-Anon. I love your personal shares of recovery. It was lovely to hear your wife and you share your experiences. When you have guests and when you play selected speakers like Mary Pearl, they are all beneficial for my recovery. With much love and gratitude, Lorraine. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. 
I'm, I'm sorry for your loss of your father. I find that the community of the program helps me when I have griefs. Aaron says, Hi, Spencer. I started listening to your podcasts on and off for the past year. Today, I tapped into one of your episodes, which seemed to hit home. It was right on time and exactly what I needed. My boyfriend moved out to live with me two and a half years ago from New York to Minnesota and has been in and out of treatment for almost two years. It has been a roller coaster of emotions, events, and he has been in and out of inpatient, outpatient treatment, and sober housing for the past two years. He just completed an inpatient treatment and will be moving out of his sober housing tomorrow, visiting his parents in New York for a month, and then coming back to live with me. I was organizing our bedroom and came across a worksheet he had filled out in treatment regarding goals. He identified me as an obstacle in his recovery, and that the way he can create a change is not to live with me. This, of course, brought in a tidal wave of emotions. I found myself trying to analyze why he would write this and starting to feel like it was my fault. Instead of reacting and calling him to talk through what I read, I clicked on a random episode, episode 81 on the three C's from your podcast, and immediately felt the weight lifting off my heart and mind. I quickly realized that I couldn't control what he did to relapse, didn't cause him to relapse, can't control his relapse, and then started to question if his counselor reminded him of this. But of course, I reminded myself that I had no control over that either. This podcast was evidence of a higher power guiding me back to Al-Anon and brought me so much comfort. Thank you so much for your podcast. They have helped me grow, and I look forward to your next show. Thanks for writing, Aaron. Hang in there. Keep working the program, and I'm glad that a random episode was exactly what you needed. Clay left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. My name is Clay. I'm from Colorado Springs. I've been listening to the Recovery Show podcast for about a year and a half. And I just wanted to thank you very much for that. I really enjoy the variety of all the topics you have on your show. The way you can look at them through the index and figure out what you want to listen to. I really appreciate the way you have men on your program because men are a minority in, in Al-Anon, as you know. I attend a men's meeting once a week. Um, I first got into Al-Anon 25 years ago because Two of my siblings were actually heavily involved with drug addiction and alcohol, and they also had undiagnosed mental illness. My younger sister started using drugs heavily in high school and through college. She eventually was diagnosed with bipolar disease, which was mostly the depressive type. She was involved with the program for a few years. She had a lot of therapy, but her disease overwhelmed her, and she committed suicide when she was 28. And then my older brother, these are two of my three siblings. I have one of them who is alive and still healthy. But my older brother is also involved with a lot of drugs. And then he found religion, or religion kind of took over his life. And he ended up developing schizophrenia not long after my sister had died. For me, the interplay of mental illness and substance abuse is a major factor in my family life, and I thought it would probably be a good topic for your program sometime. I hadn't seen that in, in the directory at all of, of programs on that. And I think that Jennifer recently talked about that on her with her son who had mental illness and addiction. Anyhow, a year and a half ago, I started to have some real conflicts with somebody at work. They were boundary issues and manipulations and things, and I realized I was really stuck, and 
I thought to myself, this is program stuff. I know this. I'm familiar with this. And then my aunt had reminded me how much my mother had enjoyed going to Al-Anon um, when my sister was involved with uh, in her situation. So in those days, I used to have Al-Anon more as a, as a um, seemed like an obligation that I had to go to try to take care of things and take care of myself. Now it's just a matter of personal freedom and responsibility. Thanks so much for your show. I love listening to it. Take care. Well, thank you, Clay. And yes, the the overlap intersection of mental illness and alcoholism is clearly relevant, uh, clearly important. I would love to have you listening, share your experience, strength, and hope with that. I have a little bit to share. It's always more powerful when we can get more than one experience, more than one voice. Louise writes about episode 290, titled But One Purpose. Hi, Spencer. Just wanted to reach out and thank you for your show. I'm a new listener, this being week two for me, and I'm totally hooked. I've been binge listening. Already, I feel like I have more serenity in my life, thanks to your soothing voice and great topics. I've been passing on the link to my friends and program whenever I have the chance. As for me, I've been in Al-Anon for almost four years, and my life has changed so much. I've picked up tools that I didn't acquire in my developmental years, having grown up in a home severely affected by alcoholism. I am 58 and emotionally perhaps 12 on a good day, but I'm starting to feel a little more mature thanks to program and tools for living. I continually have awarenesses, and I am so less apt to hold on to grudges as I did before program. My head can get a little busy, a.k.a. crazy at times, so I definitely need to keep coming back. I've learned to glance at the past and not stare. I'm practicing to live in today. I loved the quotes you and Eric shared specifically, the one about not living in the wreckage of the future. Catastrophizing. I am living with active alcoholism with my husband, who is a high-functioning problem drinker, and my eldest son also struggles with alcoholism and other mental health issues. Al-Anon and reading the big book, along with working the 12 steps, having a sponsor, and sponsoring others, keeps me grounded and continues to give me hope for today, and so long as I have that, I really can live my life one day at a time, and that leads to a beautiful life. I heard that fear and gratitude cannot live in the same house. I heard that on your show. I love that. It is really true that whether the alcoholics are drinking or not, we can find happiness and even contentment. What a gift. What a miracle. I'm also walking through a big surrender currently as my youngest child has left home to become a U.S. Marine, which wasn't part of my plan. But I get to let that go and let him grow. Radical acceptance is very liberating, and I constantly have to remind myself that having an expectation regarding people, places, and things leads to resentment. I really love living one moment, one hour, one day at a time. God bless you for all that you do, Louise, in California. Thank you, Louise, and thank you for that phrase, I've learned to glance at the past and not stare. I'm reminded, I was having a conversation yesterday about the phrase in the big book, we will not regret the past nor wish to turn our back on it, and how important it is to learn from the past, but not wallow in in the things that went wrong. So thanks. Christy says, hello, Spencer. I have a show request. The physical effects of long-term alcohol usage, 20 plus years. I often hear stories of people who have liver transplants and are hospitalized. This has not happened in my family, but I would like to know what the other possibilities could be from a medical perspective, how this disease progresses. 
My partner's doctors always say he is okay and his lab results are fairly good. This is hard for me to believe since he passes out every night after a third of a bottle of whiskey. I see the effects, but apparently they don't show up in lab tests. Is it possible to just keep drinking with no physical impact? Thanks for all you do, Christy. Well, I don't know a lot. I'm not a doctor. I do know that in the case of my loved one, she sought recovery at one point because tests showed that her liver was being damaged. Also, at some point, and maybe this was after she got into sobriety and started substituting sugar for alcohol, she was diagnosed as diabetic. There are a lot of effects. In some people, they take a long time to show up. In others, I think they come galloping along, and I can't explain it. You know, it'd be good to get maybe somebody with some medical knowledge who could who could share with that on the show. If that's you, give me a call. Send me an email. Got a review in Apple Podcasts. The review is titled, I'm in Tears. This really hit home. I'm filing for a divorce from my husband. I've had enough. How could anyone ever understand my problems, what I'm going through? The answer is, anyone in Al-Anon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for leaving that review. Reviews do help contribute to people's decision to maybe give us a try. Listen to the show. And I want to thank again, Dana, Nancy, Jason, Francesca, and Linda for your support. I know you all support us by listening, by sharing the podcast with your friends. Simply direct them to therecovery.show. Our last song, our last song that we picked, uh, you want to talk about Cage the Elephant, uh, Take It or Leave It? This band is unbelievable. Gosh, you know these guys? Not very well, I have to admit. Oh. They're they're famous of the songs uh, because my my daughters are teens. They listen to this stuff and they introduced me to this song is "Take It or Leave It." You know, I just put in songs with "Take It or Leave It," and this popped up. Baby, you should know by now that I'm right for you. But every time I step to you, you change your tune. Sweet wheel of death comes us keeps us holding our breath. I step to the right, you move to the left. There's no one else I'd rather die to myself. I think I must confess, I'm starting to unwind. I've been tripping over you. So tell me something new. Take it or leave it. It's an intense song. It's it's lyrically cool. I think these guys are genius with some of the lyrics they come up with. Why won't you make up your mind? I think I must confess, I'm, lear- I'm learning to unwind. I've been tripping over you. So tell me something new. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Please, please stay with me or cut me free. It's killing me. Sound familiar? Yes, actually, it does. Great choice. Thanks. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. And as we say, um, take what you liked and leave the rest. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.